I had a job where I dressed as the Statue of Liberty and twirled a sign that said, Have H&R Block do your taxes. After work, dressed like the statue, I went to a stamp shop across the street. The owner said, I have stamps with the Statue of Liberty on them. I told him that I collect the three-cent Washington and perforated issue of 1851. He looked confused. Now he owns a cigar shop in Morocco. Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Oh, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from the Center for Coronavirus Stamp Research Are you wearing a mask? Cash is, and it's a Richard Nixon mask You don't want to see it this is the award-winning Stamp Show here today, episode number 255, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Dawn. This is not Mark. This is Stan. And this is Becca. And Mark will be joining us. Uh, he is away from his computer, but he is on his way. Live from the Death Star. I've heard it takes a while to get uh, signals from that far deep in space down to Earth. Oh, it's terrible. You And you have to ride this uh, weird tri-ring boat out to it, it, which we were watching Things Wrong with Star Wars. And it shows uh, having to get out to the wrecked Star Wars. Uh, spoiler alert here. You have to get out to the wrecked Death Star on this uh, weird trimaran sort of boat. But doesn't Ray fly? Why did she have to use a boat? Because it was in the script. Oh, yeah, that was my answer. <laughs> well, speaking of answers, we have an email to answer. Majid writes, "Hello." Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. 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 I wanted to drop a line to thank you for the excellent podcasts. They're absolutely interesting and packed with great information. Yahoo. I also wanted to ask a couple of questions. Number one, I am curious about your favorite watermark fluid. I just found out that Bronsonol has been sold to Zippo and its formula does not have naphtha anymore. With this changed formula, is it still your favorite watermark fluid? 
two. Well, I've used both. Um, I preferred the Ronsnol because it was in a plastic bottle, and sometimes the metal bottles can rust and other bad things. But uh, other than that, I just I was introduced uh, using Ronsnol, so that's what I've always used. And also, they don't use naphtha, but they use fake naphtha. It's it's a chemical which is like naphtha, and this has been actually a thing for quite a while. Well, naphtha is a cancer-causing agent, right? A substance. So, um, the elimination of naphtha is not necessarily a bad thing as long as it doesn't damage stamps. And I I know a lot of dealers who use Zippo and uh, prefer it over Ronsonol. Uh, I like I said, I don't really have a preference either way. It's just what I have always used, so that's what I used. But um, uh, well, Ronsonol, elimination of naphtha is a plus, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Ronsonol and Zippo were interchangeable with each other, except like Scott said, and it's exactly the reason why I picked Ronsonol. Is I like the plastic bottle versus the metal bottle. That was my. That was why I used uh, Ronsonol instead of Zippo. And I used Clarity because Clarity um, is recommended by the American Philatelic Society. And they are and... a great organization. Everyone should join. There's your plug. However, I have a problem, and I know Scott does too, with Clarity. Clar- uh, Scott, why don't you talk about Clarity for a moment? Well, clarity evaporates very, very quickly, and it's less useful for expertizing because it doesn't give you a chance to watch the stamp dry, um, and you miss things. Um, Also, it's quite expensive, and even if you have a closed bottle, a lot of times it'll evaporate on its own over time, whereas you're much less of a concern with Ronsonol or, or Zippo. Yeah, I I agree with that. One of the things that uh, we spoke with on a past podcast is if you look at the back of a stamp, while it is drying from Ronsonol or Zippo, you will be able to see what we call flashing. And what it is is the broken paper fibers from a thin or from a crease or from a tear, they dry quicker than the rest of the stamp. So you'll see these paper fibers dry very fast and it'll make sort of a flashing image, a flashing image, and you'll be able to spot thins and creases and stuff like that. With clarity, you don't have nearly as much time to watch that drawing. And so while it's fine for actually finding watermarks, if if you're using watermark fluid to find watermarks, Clarity, Zippo, and uh, Ronsonol are the same. Actually, actually, um, it is a good idea to keep uh, a little bit of clarity around uh, if you are using Zippo or Ronsonol because sometimes, and it's not very often, but every once in a while you'll get a watermark that's difficult to see with, with the uh, lighter fluid that uh, actually is more discernible with clarity watermark fluid. So that's... That's, you know, that's a positive for the clarity. But other than that, um, I find I used it uh, so infrequently that I basically have to buy a bottle every time I wanted it. So 
Well, that's one of the tough things about Clarity is it, it is difficult to store. I've got a couple of bottles here because um, obviously I've not been in the into philately that long, so I'm still learning some of the questions this gentleman is asking. So it really helps. Same here. I appreciate the education. <laughs> that's what we're here for is to just you know try and help people with stuff, you know, because we've already passed a lot of these wickets and, and knowledge points that, uh, you know, if we can pass them on to those who uh, are coming up behind us, then, you know, that's what it's all about because we all want to have a good time doing it. We've passed wickets? Yes. Were they sticky wickets? <laughs> Some of them were. Uh, he also asked the second part. What, what's the second part, Tom? Number two, what is your favorite UV source for shortwave UV light? <laughs> Go to Amazon. Yeah. UV, UV, sure a, company called, a company called UVP makes a model UVSL-14P. And there's two slightly different versions of that. One is a dual filter that has a long wave and a short wave side. The long wave side's really not useful for much, I've found. It's not strong enough to do anything. But the short wave side is one stop short of perfection for looking at uh, tagging. Well, there's there also are... a caveat to that. You want to use it in a dark room. Yes, and it, has <laughs> to be, and it does have to be close to the stamp. Yes. For obvious reasons, because it won't work from a long range. Now, I had heard that, that uh, the company that was making these did go out of business. Um, no. Not sure if that's true or not, because... It is not. I've got, I've got a couple, and I know I've gotten them for Tom and a couple others, but... Um, yeah, the, the, old models, the old models that we have used in the past, these black, almost metal-bodied things that are small beasts in and of themselves uh you find them on amazon they are now um usually a, a red plastic um and they do make two types now they do make a a single short wave and they do still make the the one with the that moves back and forth um however use what i just said because there are other models out there that say they're short wave and we've had experiences with uh, some of our folks at work buying them. And don't buy any of the ones that don't have the dark filter because they're just like, they'll look like you look at the bottom of them and they're just a long, small fluorescent tube and they don't have the filter. Those will work poorly at best for tagging stamps. The, the whole, the whole uh, issue is um, these bulbs are all the same. They put out a broad-spectrum ultraviolet light, and it's the filter that narrows it down to a single wavelength that is uh, what we use for tagging. And that's the important part of this uh, device. So, if, so if you have a bare bulb, that's not the one you want. Correct. No. It absolutely has to have a filter. I mean, it's it's... You know, if you could imagine looking through a uh, almost like a welder's um, mask, 
it's just a really, really dark bluish purple filter. But again, it's uh, the model is UVSL-14P, and it even has a part number, 95-0188-02. And I think five people just crashed while they were writing that down as they were driving. <laughs> that may be, but they can listen to it again when they're at home. But, uh, <laughs> That's the one that I have, and I have found either the model number or the part number on Amazon, and we have been able to order them. Just like with any ultraviolet light, you want to make sure not to look directly onto the lit bulb or even through the filter into the bulb because it's not good for your eyes. Yeah. And if you're a scorpion trying to hide, it won't work. It, it won't, won't work. work. It's not strong enough. Oh. Well, it's but it's also short wave, not long wave. You want long wave for scorpion hunting. Oh, well, the bulb, the bare bulb is fine for scorpion hunting. <laughs> um, they are somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty to sixty dollars, I believe, on Amazon. Uh, the one I just looked up is one hundred and fifty-one dollars. Oh, that's um, way too much. Pain. Way, way, way too much. Yeah, keep looking. <laughs> Well, I put in um, I put in Tom's part number of UV ninety five dash zero one eight eight dash zero two UVSL dash fourteen P handheld mini two fifty four slash three sixty five switchable UV lamp. Yep. Well, somebody's taking you for a ride. Well, I'll stick with my little lighthouse. <laughs> as long as it as long as it has a filter on it. It's got it's the 254 by a 380, so and I can find tagging with it very easily. Bought it at a stamp show. Can't remember which one. Yeah, well, you know, if you buy it from a stamp supply store, it's generally going to have the right wavelength. So, the, just the question is, is it strong enough? Because a lot of times they don't put enough power into those, and um, if you have even a little bit of light in the room, sometimes you can miss tagging. I see um, some of the airmails that are tagged in with the uh, orange-red tagging. Um, every once in a while, I'll have a, a customer submit one of those that's claiming that it is untagged, and it's just a light wash of the tagging, and they must have looked at it in a, a lighted room because it's hard to see sometimes. Well, you can see how much light's in my room. Four... 100 watt LEDs. Well, you so, can see you can see the light over my shoulder, the window over my shoulder. Yeah. I, haven't my, I haven't got my curtains up yet. <laughs> and all luckily, right. all our all of our listeners can see exactly what we're talking about, right? Of course. That's of course. right. Yes. Of course. Always one of the drawbacks of a podcast is when you're talking about looking look at this. Hey, Stan, can you take screenshots of each of us? I could, yes. Would you like me to? Yeah, oh, why don't you do that and Tom can post it with, oh. the, with the podcast and put it on the script. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that while we're doing. Oh, Becca just turned on hers. Yep. Don just got, I just took her picture. I'm getting Scott. I'm going to get Tom. Yeah. And, um, Kat, you can edit most of this out, I'm sure. That's my job. 
All right, and I got to get cash. That's the only one I have left, and y'all won't have a picture of me, thankfully. Oh. <laughs> I've got a face for radio, guys. <laughs> okay, so Tom, read the compliment at the end. Uh, I was surfing Amazon to see if I could find it cheaper. Let me get back to it. Okay. <laughs> Please keep the expert topic. Also, would love to hear more from Scott Murphy and his amazing encyclopedic knowledge and his insights. His collecting wisdom has been a great source of learning for me. Many thanks. Well, since Kaz writes the, uh, the script, uh, you'd hear from more from me on the expert topics if Kaz includes it in the podcast. Oh. I'm happy, I'm happy to share. <laughs> Kaz. You got to add the expert topic back. I we we can do that. I mean, we kind of have it. You just got to call it that. Well, the, this entire email has been expert topic. Well, I mean, so is our today's topic is the expert topic. Just call it that. Okay. So our topic today is stamp condition. We are going to start with our newbie Becca. What condition do you require? to put a stamp in your collection? Personally, I prefer extremely fine. The main two things for me are the postmark can't be too dark because the whole point of collecting topical stamps is that I want to see the picture on it. And that's an excellent that point. No and that there are no tears in the stamp. So, so for your purposes, a small crease would be okay, but not a tear. Correct. Good to know. I mean, you know, if, if you're going after graded stamps, obviously you're, you're a condition hound, both centering-wise and, and uh, soundness-wise. But, um, yeah, I, for the casual collector, I know, um, you know even, I, even though I do grading all day as a job, uh, when it comes to my personal collection... You know, tiny corner creases, uh, the occasional shorter perf, you know, things like that don't bother me if I get to fill a space. So um, in some respects, you know, because it's my relaxation and not my stress, um, <laughs> you know, certain condition issues for me are okay. Um, but exactly. I, I do agree. I, I don't like big, heavy cancels. And um, if I can get, a good circular date stamp or a readable machine cancel. Um, those are also prized. I know, I know I've taken my Canadian used collection and uh, gone back and filled it with um, town cancels. And I'm probably mm -hmm. about 80% up to 1975 with, with, town cancels on all the commemoratives and even a lot of the definitives all those are although those are harder they're just smaller stamps the one thing i will say is i will sometimes keep one with a tear in it and use it as a placeholder but it's not going to be the permanent one that goes in my collection oh yeah i've, I've done that too you know there's a little corner missing or something like that and uh, if it's not to the condition i want i do use placeholders um, especially if I've bought a collection and I'm picking stuff out of it to fill in my own collection. 
Um, I'll, I'll pick something that's damaged over having a blank spot, and then I'll just mark it in my album as something to upgrade. Right. right. Just as long as you're not cutting perfs off to fill the coil spaces, right? <laughs> no, I don't do that. How about Definitely you? Not. How about you, Don? You your dragon collection. My dragon collection. Well, I don't care if it's been hinged, but uh, I prefer not to have any postmarks. I like them pretty clean. So you like unused? Yeah, yeah. I basically like unused because I want to look at the dragons. I don't want to look at the postmark. But if it's a dragon postmark, we make an exception. <laughs> of course. And I have a few of those. Well, the stuff that's on cover, of course. Yeah. You know, my first aid covers and such. But other than that, yeah, I, I want to see I want to see my dragons. Well, I collect, you know, my chickens and the chickens I literally do not care the condition because some of my cooler items were actually like bags that had chicken feed in it and stuff like that. And they're pretty much destroyed, but they're cool. Now my uh, 1850 to 1859, that's an exhibit. I have to put stuff in there that um, the judges will find attractive because I actually got a comment from one of the judges at one of my covers and luckily, it wasn't a very important cover. It just showed a certain usage. And he said, that's an ugly cover. You should take it out of the exhibit. So, yeah. But yeah, my chickens, I collect anything. Those darn exhibiting snobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, Mark. Howdy. He, he, he got his now parked to here. Yeah, he got on his little trimarine and uh, floated out to the uh, battered up Death Star. <laughs> yep. Mark, you're very, very low. Ah, well, I was on the planet Hoth, but um, I decided to come back to the ruins of the Death Star. Oh, okay. Talk closer <laughs> to your talk, talk closer to your microphone because you are incredibly low in volume. Okay. Oh, uh, that's much better. Okay. So, Stan, what sort of started this is you posted a thing on Facebook uh, that was showing it, was, it wasn't easy greater, but it was something else. So why don't you tell your story about that stamp? All right. I had a Indian hunting buffalo of the Trans-Mississippi series number 287. Um, really good centering. I mean, excellent centering, XS but it had in the upper right-hand corner old four-pulled purse, and then it was missing the bottom left-hand corner. It was used. Um, the, the vignette looks great. The color looks wonderful. And Stamp Analyzer, which is a tool or a soft piece of software that's available on the Apple Store um, that gives you a grade, gave it a XF. 92 before I put in the fault settings. Um, and, you know, I want to collect, when I collect for myself, I want to have minimum fine to very fine, but realistically very fine to extra fine. And mint never hinged in anything after 1922 Washington Franklin series. But, um, 
there are a lot of these different pieces of software out there that I've tried. Being a software developer, uh, I'm a nerd. Um, I want to see if there's a way that gives me better measurements, better this, better that, and ability to see and, and taste, touch, and feel and understand some of the different parts and pieces that go into a, the making of a stamp, and B, what makes a good-looking stamp. Because I like good-looking stamps. I think everybody likes good-looking stamps. <clears throat> but the, the interesting thing is, is, and what did you call it? What was the name of the app from the Apple Store? Stamp Analyzer. And it take, you just drag a picture to the app, and um, it analyzes the perforations. It tells you exactly what types of the number of perfs. Um, it tells you how the margins are centering. Um, Does it give you a gauge, or just tell you how many perfs it, teeth are there? It it gives you. It tells you that in this case, there's it's perf twelve, and it tells you it's perf twelve based oh. on two centimeters. Nice. Um, That's actually cool. And I scan all of my stamps at 1,200 DPI. So, you know, that way you can, when you zoom in on it, you can actually see the detail. I will probably share it on my next stamp chat. Yeah, I think everybody likes nice stamps. I think that that's not going out on a limb by any stretch of the imagination. Um, <laughs> And having a stamp grading program, God, you know, that that is something that's really missing from the uh, area because, you know, we're in the business. And so many people send us stamps and say, well, you know, here, submit this. I have a really great stamp. They could have saved the money by using an app like this. How much was the app? $4.99. Yeah, $4.99, and it tells you what the perforations are? Yes. And... You know, the only thing it doesn't do is tell me if there's a watermark in it. Um, and the deductions are for a severe fault, 58 points, for a major fault, 42, for just a fault, 32, and then all the way up to zero for faultless. And if you give it a pin cancel, it deducts 20 points. Um, if you say it's obliterated, you lose 15 and, you know, you can put in better and worse color. I mean, there are a lot of things you can do with this, um, with this app that give you, I wouldn't call it a graded stamp, but it gives you an idea of where that stamp might fit if you send it to a grading company. I just searched the... Uh the Play Store for the Android Play Store for Stamp Analyzer, and it didn't give me anything that I had to buy. It only gave me free apps. Okay, this is this was I've, this, I've got a Mac computer, and this is on the Apple Mac, probably on the Apple Mac Store. Um, okay. So nothing, nothing for Android, I guess. That, that well, I didn't see anything like that. Yeah. I don't think it – I haven't looked in the Microsoft store um, on a Windows PC yet. 
but I can do that. I've got one of those somewhere around here. Yeah, personally, I think that if you're able to analyze your stamps better, you'll save money. Definitely going to, you know, whatever expertizing company you use, hopefully you use us because, you know, we want the money. But uh, being able to save the money and do stuff, this is really important. Uh, you know, is, uh, as grading is really driving the market right now, it's a shame when people send us stamps that, you know, they think are the, it's the finest one in their collection. So they think they're going to get 100 and they end up getting, you know, an 80 because it's not that great. You know, it's, it's a eye-opener. It's something that is, you know, very profitable. A lot of people are making very nice collections and uh, good amounts of money by finding these really rare, and they are very rare condition anomalies, really. You know, it's like a diamond. You know, a high-grade diamond is worth more than a low-grade diamond. And people, you know, kind of don't realize that. As a matter of fact, some people just fight it. You know, they say, I'm sorry, uh, you know, I don't care what the condition is. I'm not paying double Scott catalog for a stamp. Well, I, I think one thing that people don't realize is exactly how precipitously the values can drop with the condition. Well, in the Scott Specialized U.S. catalog, there, there's a whole set of pages, um, what, what are called the yellow pages, that if you read the introduction to the yellow pages, it gives you the grading scale. And then when you start flipping through the pages, you can see that very fine is the catalog value on every other page. But then for the through, I believe it's 1930, I think, um, it gives you the grade from very good to superb. And you can get multiples of catalog once you get past very fine all the way up to superb, which to me was an eye-opener when somebody pointed out that the, of the yellow pages in the Scott Specialized U.S. catalog. Well, that, that kind of then brings to mind that when you go to a stamp show and you sit down at a dealer and he's got everything marked at uh, 75 or 80% of Scott, that kind of tells you where one of two things, either one, he's lazy and he's just pricing everything based on the catalog number, or two, he has no clue about condition and his better stuff is going to be bought at a super bargain and the stuff with small faults is gonna be overpriced. You can find stamps at less than 10% of catalog, and you can find them for multiples of catalog, and it's all based on condition. And like everybody here was saying, you know, we want nice looking stamps. If if you wanna fill a stamp catalog or a stamp, stamp catalog, if you wanna fill a stamp album, the expensive stamps, you're gonna put faulty ones in, and you're gonna fill every single space, but you know, like Becca said, if you're a topical collector, you need to see what the picture is. And, you know, if you are exhibiting like I am, then, you know, the judges are going to say that's an ugly piece. It shouldn't be out here. Well, speaking as I think one of the most non-stamp collectors on the podcast, when it comes to things that I want, because I do collect stuff, and mostly what I collect is things that I need for reference. 
when it comes to reference pieces, I want a stamp. Usually it's going to be a shade. I'm want, I'm, I, I hate trying to determine a shade variety when I don't know what the original shade looks like. Yeah. So having a, a good solid color to me is one of the most important things. And secondly, I would prefer paper that is relatively clean. So you have an idea of what it, you know, what it actually the paper should look like. So paper that's ridiculously toned or, you know, yellowed and, and, you know, Looks things like, like somebody that. spilled coffee on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those, to me, those don't make good references. I don't want those. Oh, but literally, you know they look I, like coffee. <laughs> but as far as it goes, if it's for reference, if it's got the color and the paper color, you know, if I can get it for cheap, I don't care if I get half the frickin' stamp. <laughs> well, but you're using it as a color reference, so um, but the that's important what, thing is to just have a an area with good color. Yeah. Yeah, so I re better if it's recall, used, unused, half a stamp. I recall a person who had a pigeon blood pink, a certified pigeon blood pink, and it was horribly damaged, and he cut it into four pieces and gave it to four people as color references. And, you know, we it, it was a very damaged stamp to begin with, so he, it wasn't like he was destroying a major variety. But now you have four people who have references of pigeon blood pink, because, you know, they took... And the he stamp. probably more than paid for what he paid for the stamp, so... He did, actually. He charged 25% to each person who bought the color sample. <laughs> and he didn't pay 100%, I'm sure. Oh, no, 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 no. Not <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think that he got it for pretty damn close to free because he had to pay a bunch of money for the certificate. And the certificate wasn't that much money. But, you know, a pigeon blend pink cert can cost you... 200 300 bucks uh, obviously this one was uh heavily damaged so you know they probably paid 125 bucks for the cert because you know you well that depends where point. you send it to yeah but some you know, some places will work with you on a on a fee and other ones stick to their fee structure like it was uh written by you know moses on the tablets or something yeah, there, there is one company that doesn't negotiate their fees, and we won't uh, mention them because we like them. Mention the companies that do. <laughs> okay. Well, PSE does. I mean, we have it straight across the board. If you've got an ugly, dirty stamp, you're never going to pay more than 125 bucks for it, period. And You can edit, uh, you can edit that out because it's 150 Nope. <laughs> <laughs> So PSE, if it has, if you have a really crummy stamp, it doesn't matter. You know, if you have a C3A that's ripped in half or something like that, a really, really valuable stamp, but it's in terrible condition, uh, our maximum fee is 125 bucks. Still 150. <laughs> <Damn> it. <laughs> He's done cops again here. <laughs> Scott, you say it. <laughs> Well, you know, PSE has a has a service where if you have a really damaged, expensive stamp like a C3A with a tear and uh, a thin and it's dirty or something like that, but you still want to assert to say it's genuine, uh, PSE will actually negotiate 
the price, and uh, in most cases, you won't pay more than about $150. Yeah, so the one cent magenta. You send it, if you send it in, 150 bucks. Well, that, that is, that, 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 first of all, that's a specialized stamp. <laughs> but it is crummy. <laughs> it is very crummy now. Yeah, I, anything else? I, I actually bought a stamp from uh, a guy who knows that I work at PSE. I bought a 573 just because I wanted a, yeah, I wanted a good reference color for looking for 573As. And I bought it from him and I said, oh, I want to get this from you. For me, it's just I needed a color reference. And he's like, the first thing he says is, did I miss something? <laughs> he thought I was buying it to grade. I'm like, no, no, I just, I just need a color reference. It's I, fine. I, I, I get that every time I go to a show, but... <laughs> Yeah, but people know you. <laughs> yeah, and and when they find out, I collect all sorts of weird stuff, and and condition sometimes doesn't matter. Uh, eventually, they stop asking. They just go, okay. <laughs> That's that five dollar fourth bureau, um, Tom. The the yes, freedom yeah, five seventy yeah, three. Okay. There's color varieties. I'll have to go look at the catalog. There's a oh. Carmen 573A is Carmen Lake. Carmen Lake in dark blue? Oh. Yes. Instead of Carmen in blue. Carmen in blue. Very striking color. But the problem is there's, there's all sort of a line. There, there's a lot of them that are kind of in the middle. Yeah. And generally we don't say that that's a 573A. Now, one thing to remember is the darker shade was a later printing. And so just based on the usage factor, a lot of the um, earlier printings were actually used. And most of the unused stocks that were left in dealers' hands were of the, ended up being of the later printing. So you're more likely to find an unused one than a used one. And the same thing with the $1 Wilson, the magenta versus the really magenta-looking purple colors. That, that's another one where you have a stamp that's $40 versus, I mean, almost you could use it as postage. If it's hinged, I do use it for postage. So color references are important. Yes, they oh. are. I, I have found that on some occasions you'll get people that think they have the 573A and it's really just that the red has oxidized and turned darker, whereas the blue will still just be blue. Yeah, you have to have both blue and red. Oh. Stan is holding one up to the camera. Uh, everybody who's driving right now, look real hard at your radio and you'll be able to see it. <laughs> that's a nice bright blue. I would say that's not the color variety. <laughs> I didn't think so. It's a nice used block of four with a um, line. Yes, it is. I, I, I don't necessarily care about faults when I'm, when I'm doing the reference stuff. I just need good color. Well, that was a great conversation there. You want to go out on a high note now or do you want to squash it by doing something else? Yeah, let's talk about something dumb. No. <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 255. This was Tom. This, this was, was Scott. Cash. Oh, that was everybody. This was, this was Scott. <laughs> this was Cash.
This is Mark. This is Don. This is Stan. And this is Becca. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! Return <laughs> <laughs> to send up. Return to send up. Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Worst episode ever. Oh, not even close.